Hello and welcome to another episode of the Film Recommendation Podcast. Um, the name itself is pretty self-explanatory and my name is Andrew Furlong. This is the podcast released twice a month with the aim of recommending some movie titles for your viewing pleasure. Although occasionally I might have a rant about a film or two as well. Um, so with that in mind, let's get to the first movie this week. It's in cinemas at the moment and that is a film called The Gift. Directed by and starring Joel Edgerton. It also stars Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. Um, now, I've never been a fan of trailers. Um, I normally avoid watching them like they're a Marvel movie at this stage. Um, trailers can give away the plot, give you a false impression of the movie and are entirely left up to the marketing team who know jack shit about movies in many cases. Um... But occasionally I do catch trailers, especially while I'm in the cinema and let me just say that the trailer for The Gift does not do it justice at all. Um, If you don't judge a book by its cover, never judge a movie by its trailer. Um, Because The Gift, unlike how it's presented in the trailer, is your classic, slow-burning, psychological thriller um one that manages to keep its intrigue and mystery and and the right levels of suspense right up until the closing moments and considering this is Joel Edgerton's directorial debut um that is even more impressive I mean he's already one of my favorite actors anyway I I talked about him in Warrior before He's very good in The Great Gatsby as well and also Animal Kingdom. Um, you wouldn't even know he's Australian. Um, he's so convincing. Um, but after this, as a director and indeed a writer as well, um, because he wrote the script also, this guy has something special. Um, so the gift, um, without giving much away, because it's kind of hard to talk about this at all um, without giving anything away. Um, which I would never do in my reviews. Um, so Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall play a married couple who move to a new neighborhood and they randomly bump into an acquaintance from Jason Bateman's character's past um, who's played by Joel Edgerton. And Joel Edgerton's character seems like a nice guy. I mean, he's a bit socially awkward maybe. Um, calls around to their house a bit too often um, also. But in the name of friendship... Uh, a friendship that doesn't seem to be reciprocated, especially by Jason Bateman, mind you. And Joel Edgerton um, does a very good job of towing the line between a sympathetic figure, um, but also a guy that might be slightly creepy. Um, he plays them kind of in the same way that Tim Robbins does in Mystic River. Um, but I guess... Um, we are mostly weary of Edgerton's character because normally when a character behaves this way in a movie, some shit goes down. Um, but what the gift does very well is it holds all its cards for the longest possible time in the name of tension and to pique your interest without the movie ever suffering. Um, this isn't like an M. Shia Nightland movie where the movie plods along until... Uh, the twist is revealed at the end and the movie basically hinges on that. Um, the gift is a lot more mechanical um, than that as well. Kind of in a similar way 
to a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies, um, the way they play out, especially something like The Prestige, where all these pieces are building to something like a puzzle of clues that come together in the most heightened and intense fashion in the closing moments. Um, but on top of that, the relationship between Jason Bateman's and Joe Edgerton's characters, and indeed the movie itself, is very Hitchcockian as well. Um, you don't know where you stand with either character. You're, you're not fully sure where your sympathy should lie. Everybody seems to be hiding something. It's interesting actually that even though Jason Bateman is playing a very Jason Bateman type character, he's playing it for the first time with zero humour and it really made him very unlikable to be honest um, which added another layer to things as well um, but anyway that was the gift it's in cinemas now you guys need to see it and it's definitely a big recommendation from me the next film I will be reviewing this week is Charlie's Country You got a license? License? We're not gonna drive you. We're just gonna shoot him. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. What do you got there? I made a spear. Hunting spear. Wow. It's a dangerous weapon. I'm gonna have to destroy it. Now, I ended up watching Charlie's Country as part of my White People Are Historically Horrible film season, um, in which a number of movies were screened in my flat the last week, um, coincidentally, which depicted, in one way or another, Terrible acts committed by white people to minorities. Um, these movies include The Tracker, Rabbit Proof Fence and to a lesser extent The Proposition. And all very good movies and recommendations in their own right. Um, more specifically these films are Australian and show in some way or form things Aborigines had to put up with basically. Um, another very good movie called Ten Canoes which is from the director of Charlie's Country um. Rolf De Heer um, does a great job in showing Aboriginal history also, um, this time pre-white people. Um, now, like I said, all these movies are recommendations in their own right. Um, but the reason why I chose to go with Charlie's Country um, for my review this week is because it stayed with me the most. It shows the current plight of the Aboriginal people in a very subtle yet hauntingly affecting way. Um, we follow the story of Charlie, played by David Gallipolil, um, who in many ways is in a kind of cultural purgatory in this movie. Um, he lives in this remote community of Aborigines that is overseen or ruled um, by laws entirely dictated by white people, um, depending which way you want to look at it. And... This isn't like the movie Rabbit Proof Fence where you have some bizarre yet entirely historical occurrence in which 
all the mixed race aborigines um would be bred out of existence it's, it's like something out of mad max if you think about it um charlie's country doesn't have anything as extreme as rabbit proof fence um but what it does do is quietly show how their culture is being infringed upon by people um who are as far as they are concerned um foreigners basically I- i'm talking about stuff like um in one instance um charlie makes a spear for hunting but the police have to confiscate it because it is deemed a, a dangerous weapon um in another scene he visits a white doctor who says that he has problems um pronouncing foreign names even though technically charlie isn't a foreigner at all i mean i mean it shows the displacement of a once proud culture and the end result of colonizing a country and the tail end of this of the destruction of a certain way of life and I mentioned that Charlie is played by David Gallipolil and this is an actor who actually spent his childhood in the bush and is an accomplished tracker, hunter and ceremonial dancer. Um, he actually got his big break in the Nicholas Roque film Walkabout and he embodies this role so well um, that you believe that he has lived Charlie's life. Um, his facial expressions, his movements, the look he gives in his eyes um, show more than any dialogue could possibly and I've seen a lot of this actor recently and this is by far his best role. Um, now this movie goes in a direction that I didn't see coming on two occasions and I've purposely stayed away from discussing that kind of stuff in order to keep the surprise. Um, but it's definitely worth checking out. If you can't find it to rent online, if you catch my drift, it is available for free on Amazon Prime Instant Video as part of a trial. Or you can rent it for £2.49 on Google Play, I believe. The next film I will be reviewing this week is Jerry Maguire, directed by Cameron Crowe. Um, now let's start off by getting a few things straight. Um, firstly, I have yet to really like a Cameron Crowe film. Um, I didn't like Almost Famous. I absolutely despised We Bought a Zoo. Say anything was okay, um, but pretty much forgettable. Um, I'm not a fan of this guy at all, and... I would never have watched this movie if it wasn't for two things. Um, firstly, my friend said I couldn't fully discount Cameron Crowe until I watched this movie. And two, because of my love for a little known movie star that goes by the name of Tom Cruise. And let's just talk about Tom Cruise um, for a second. Tom Cruise is the greatest movie star there is. Tom Cruise makes mediocre movies good. I'm talking about stuff like The Last Samurai, Interview with the Vampire, Top Gun, Oblivion. I mean, this guy commits to everything he does. Um, whether it's being strapped to a plane for a stunt like in the latest Mission Impossible movie or jumping on Oprah Winfrey's couch like a jackass. I mean, he's committed or, or should be committed depending on which way you want to look at it i suppose um but i think he's absolutely fantastic so i thought at the very least that even if this was another cameron crow cheese bomb at least tom cruise would make it watchable um but you know i was pleasantly surprised with jerry Maguire and all the things that normally irk me about cameron crow actually did the opposite in this movie and that's something I couldn't have foreseen at all, really. And 
in this movie, um, Tom Cruise plays a sport agent, um, the kind of cocky, a bit of a jerk, but good at his job type of character that he's great at playing. Um, but his character has a moral epiphany of sorts and in the process is fired for expressing it. And from there, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test with the only athlete that stays with him, um, Rod Tidwell, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And... I don't know exactly when in his career um, Cuba Gooding became Cuba not so good, um, but he but he sure as hell matches Tom Cruise for charisma in this, and I think only Will Smith and Sean Connery are the only other two people that can say that um, that they match Tom Cruise in the charisma category. Um, but I think one of the reasons why Jerry Maguire works so well um, compared to Cameron Crowe's other movies is the blind optimism characters have in this movie have some real stakes attached to it um lives genuinely feel like they could get ruined in this movie um if jerry doesn't deliver on his vision in this and jerry's business could go bust rod mightn't have a playing ca contract at the end of the season and the character played by um renee zellweger who gives up everything to come work for jerry because she believes in his philosophy um she has a son and needs this to go well to support him um even her son in this isn't as annoying as the cameron crow kids usually are in his other films i mean sure he wants to go to the zoo uh, but at least tom cruise didn't go buy a friggin zoo unlike cameron crow's other film for god's sake um you know in wreck it ralph um when the characters go to that sweet land um well, Cameron Crowe's films exist entirely in that universe. Um, but Jerry Maguire is the one film of his where you will actually care for that universe. Um, care for the characters. And it's the one Cameron Crowe film um, that genuinely earns its feel-good moments. Um, it's definitely a recommendation for me. And you can actually rent it in the Sky Store for $2.99 if you can't find it online. The next film I will be looking at this week is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Betsy. Ethan, where are you? The Syndicate is real. A rogue nation trained to do what we do. An anti-IMF. They're coming after us with everything they've got. You ready? This may very well be our last mission. Let's make it count. So what's the play? You want to bring down the syndicate? It's impossible. Now here's the thing about the Mission Impossible series in general. Um, when the first one came out in 1996, um, it basically dismantled the team of spies from the TV show and decided to build the movie around one man. And that man, of course, is Tom Cruise. Um, who I won't go on about anymore because we've already concluded um, by now Tom Cruise is great. And there's a song that goes, um, the video killed the radio star. Um, but I subscribe to the fact that the franchise killed the movie star. Um, nowadays it's the franchise that people pay to see. The Hollywood A-lister that used to marquee a film comes a distant second to that. Um, I'm talking about stuff like The Fast and the Furious. Um... James Bond, Star Wars, and so on. Um, you can replace actors in these franchises and they will still be a success. Um, but for a long time, 
Tom Cruise was Mr. Mission Impossible. Um, but for the last few movies, the franchise has been quietly um, building a team of actors as to not be over-reliant on Cruise. And it's breathed fresh life into the series and it's continually improved, actually, because of that. I- I'm talking about people like Simon Pegg and Jeremy Renner. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure after this latest movie, Alec Baldwin uh, will be back as well. Um... But what I really liked about this Mission Impossible especially is it harks back to a much simpler time in the world of spies. Um, You know where spies actually did stuff like spying. Um, There used to be such a thing as a spying genre. Um, Even James Bond used to spy believe it or not. And what Mission Impossible Rogue Nation um, does is it concentrates more on stuff like heists. Using as much finesse as possible and not being a gun-toting maniac to get the job done. And I know the first movie had that infamous sequence um, where Tom Cruise breaks into a room, suspended from a cable. And having rewatched that movie The Weeknd, um, nothing in the franchise will ever top that sequence. All hail uh, Brian De Palma. Um, but the first movie um, also has a lot of action movie oriented stuff like um john reno in a helicopter trying to shoot tom cruise in a tunnel while he's on the outside of a train um but rogue nation's action set pieces feel a lot more sophisticated than that and a lot of that is down to the director and writer christopher mcquarrie um who we all know from his work especially in the usual suspects and there's no epic gun battles or anything like that. It's, it's just purely espionage and slick assassins and being the best spy you can be, basically. And I think it's the best Mission Impossible film to do that to date. And the one that I enjoyed most of all uh, of them so far. Um, it's in cinema still at the moment and it is definitely a recommendation for me. Firstly, um, let me start by addressing something I said a few weeks ago and I think I mentioned something when I was talking about my favourite genres um, where I mentioned rom-coms. Even though I used the term in a very generalised way, uh, I did say it's my least favourite genre. Um, But having done a bit of reflection on that and thinking about movies like Begin Again, Crazy Stupid Love and now having watched... um, Silver Linings Playbook this week, um, I'm going to have to do a massive U-turn this episode because I think in fact it might be one of my favourite genres and it's just a very saturated market in general um, so the chances of coming across gems often aren't as frequent and uh, that's where my comments about it uh, being my least favourite come from maybe. Um, But anyway, my final recommendation this week is Silver Linings Playbook and... I know the film has got numerous Academy Awards and I guess it's hardly an underrated film to recommend at this stage Um, but I think I've just become a big fan of David O. Russell's pulpy kind of style. I I actually forgot he had done The Fighter before watching this and I thought to myself um, Silver Linings very much reminded me of its glib family type dynamic Um, but I don't really have a problem with that type of film at all. Especially if he does it so entertainingly as he does um, in this. Um, Bradley Cooper isn't bad as the bipolar uh, main character. Um, being zonged out on medication probably suits the blank look in, in space that Cooper usually mistakes for acting anyway. Um, but 
his character does suffer from I am Sam syndrome in with his illness at times. Um, so he can seem to be completely in control of his illness when the script requires it. Um, but again, this is a very light, entertainingly over-the-top portrayal of these issues. It's kind of highbrow Jerry Springer, if you will. And I actually enjoy the David Russell style um, very much. I-, I-, I wanted things to work out between Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence's characters as well. Um, so again, the movie succeeded in that aspect as well. I also liked how the movie kind of suggested that everybody was a bit emotionally unstable in their own way. Um, Bradley Cooper's dad in this, played by Robert De Niro, is OCD. While his friend goes to his garage, smashes up stuff to um, bottle his emotions. Um, None of it seems sincere, like I said. Um, But in a car crash TV, comedic way, it works very well. And... Robert De Niro in this I thought was excellent. Um, it's the first time he seemed to try in a role since um, maybe Meet the Parents. And in a way he plays a more extreme version of that character anyway. Um, but I think Silver Linings Playbook is well worth seeing. I don't think it's entirely justified in a, in all its Academy Award plaudits it got. But from a purely popcorn cinema perspective I thought it was excellent. Um... So yeah, check that one out. Um, you'll enjoy it. Um, so that's all there is for me this week. I'll be back again for another episode later in the month. Until then, check out those recommendations and see you next time. <laughs>